Actually, if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to turn to John chapter 4. If you don't, we'll have it up here on the screen. Uh, John chapter 4 is a conversation that Jesus has over lunch. Well, they didn't have a meal, but it was that time. It's a conversation that Jesus has with a woman, a noontime, and we're going to listen into it because sometimes the best conversations are the one you, you don't participate in, but you get to listen into. When I was a senior at Bible college, we had six of us a unique privilege about every six weeks to have lunch with the president. His name was Robertson McQuilkin, a godly, godly, brilliant, intelligent, wise man. And I was just privileged to go to lunch with him. I never had really any of the questions. Other guys smarter than me had the questions, but I got to sit at the table and listen to the dialogue and listen to his answers. And that's a little bit what we're going to do today. We're not going to be part of the conversation so much, but we're going to be able to listen in to what Jesus has to say to this woman, what the woman has to say to Jesus, and glean from it. So join me in John chapter 4. Verse 3 starts to set the context for us. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had, he had to, remember that expression, we're going to come back to it. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Let me translate that for you. In our time, we're talking noon, all right? It's noon, he's at the well. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Doesn't seem like anybody else is there. It's just Jesus and now a woman shows up. And he says to her, give me a drink. In our day, that might sound rude. He's not being rude. In fact, his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? And then John, in parentheses, gives us this historical context. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. One of the greatest uh, things that would always happen around that table with our president was he would often surprise us with things that he said. And, and that's what's happening here. The woman is surprised, not that he's rude to her. She's surprised that he speaks to her. Because culturally speaking, Jews did not speak to Samaritans. They hated them. They despised them. At best, they ignored them. Normally, though, they would be outright rude to them. And Jesus is the exact opposite to this woman. She is like, wow, this is not a normal Jewish man speaking to me, a Samaritan woman. So why does he? Well, it's a little bit the same reason of what it said in verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. That might seem like a geographical reality. Uh, in other words, it says he was in Judea, and he's gone up here north to Galilee. It's like if you're in Florida and you're going to South Carolina, you have to pass through 
Georgia, well done. Yes, you have to pass. But actually, you don't have to, do you? You could go around. Now I'm really stretching your knowledge. You could go around and go through Alabama, right? Or get a ship and go around the other way. Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. Most Jews didn't. They went around. But Jesus didn't go around. He went through Samaria. And when he met a Samaritan woman, he was not rude to her. He actually spoke to her for this simple reason. What we see repeatedly in the life of Jesus, and this is what I want to glean first from this conversation, is that Jesus speaks to the woman and Jesus has to go through Samaria because to Jesus, everyone, including Samaritans, everyone matters to God. Now, before you think, yeah, well, no, duh, everybody matters to God, that's, that's often not true in history. Jews did not think Gentiles mattered to God. For a long time, white people didn't think black people mattered to God. Nazi Germany certainly didn't think Jews mattered, right? Many in America don't think unborn children matter. So actually, Jesus is doing something really surprising here. He is, as we get to listen in, reminding us everyone, everyone matters to God. Our our power-up club's got to... uh, just on Tuesday, interact with over 1,300 children. And it was really an incredible privilege to be able to stand in here on Tuesday night and be able to say every one of those over 1,300 children, every one of them, even, even the obnoxious ones, <laughs> every one of them mattered to God for this reason. Everyone is created in the image of God. No matter color, Race, gender, everyone created in the image of God. And every single one of them, Christ died for. That's how much they matter to God, that Christ died for each of them. Uh, in 1 John chapter 2, it says this, And he, Jesus, himself is the propitiation for our sins. That's a word that no one ever uses, but that is a word. Propitiation, it simply means satisfies the wrath of God. He himself, Jesus, is the satisfaction for the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sins. And watch, and not for ours only, but also for those of the, everybody say the next word, whole world. Everyone matters to God because you are created in the image of God and you are a person for whom Christ died. That's not that woman. That's not what that woman would have thought. That's not what she would have thought about herself. And so she is surprised by this conversation even happening. But her surprises just begin because Jesus says to her, 
in response to her, how is it that you, a Jew, speak to me, a Samaritan woman? He then surprises her by saying this. I'll just let you hear. Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. In other words, if you knew who I am and what I could give you, here's the way this would have gone down. You would have asked him, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. You check what he's saying? You're surprised that I'm speaking to you. Actually, if you knew who I was and what I could give to you, you'd be saying to me, give me a drink, not me, you give me a drink. And she is like super practical, this lady. Because her reply to Jesus going, hey, if you knew who I was, you'd be saying, give me a drink. You know what she says to him? Watch. (laughs) Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? In other words, she's going, why would I ask you for a drink? You don't have. You don't have a bucket. And the water's way down there. So I could ask you for a drink, but you'd go, no bucket. So I didn't ask you for a drink. And then, not only do you not have a bucket to be able to give me a drink, she asked this question. You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Now don't forget that question. You're not greater than our father Jacob, Are you who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Now, I'm going to suggest to you it's a brilliant question. You may think, it doesn't seem so brilliant. It's a question you've never thought. Hmm, is Jesus greater than Jacob? But that's because you don't have a Jacob jersey, if you will. She would have thought Jacob was far greater than any man that could show up and offer a drink for this simple reason. He was one of the patriarchs. He was like one of the family fathers who started the whole people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And why did this well exist? Why is it called Jacob's well? Here's a good one. Because he dug it, right? He dug that well, and the whole city of Sychar, quite frankly, exists because if you're going to start a town, what do you have to have? You have to have water. And the community exists there because Jacob, one of the greatest people in their history, had dug a well. So Jacob was the greatest thing that ever happened to that little town. And what was her question? You're not greater than Jacob, are you? Who like dug this well? What's Jesus say? Everyone who drinks of this water, which water? The water you get out of that well in this bucket. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a 
a well of water springing up to eternal life. What an amazing statement. Am I better than Jacob? What's his answer? You may go, I'm not sure. He said a lot of words, but I'm not sure if he actually answered the question. He did. He said, in essence, and I'll explain, he said, better than Jacob? I am way, 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 way better than Jacob. Why? Why is he better than Jacob? Because Jacob can give you water that comes in a bucket, which is great, except at some point, and she would have known because she had to come there every day, at some point, what happens to the bucket? It gets empty, and then you are parched. I'm not thirsty, but my bucket's empty. Am I better than, greater than Jacob? Are you serious? Jacob gives you buckets of water. I am a, what was, I am a, a well. Where? I will give him will become in him a well of water. How good is that? That's a great question. Are you greater than Jacob? I am way, 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 way better than Jacob because my water does not come in a bucket that will run dry, that you have to continue to come to, out to, and out to, and out to. I am a well that will never run dry and will be in you. See, what Jesus wants that woman to know, and as we eavesdrop into this conversation, what I want us to know is this, that Jesus is greater than the greatest things this life can offer. We, we sang it in song. But this is what Jesus is telling the woman. Jesus is greater. He is greater than anything this life can offer because, and this is why this picture is so good, because the greatest things in this life come in a, in a bucket, meaning they're going to run out and you're going to be thirsty. I imagine as I look across this room, there were some of you who were like kings and queens of your class. You, you lived out of a bucket of your good looks. But now what's the mirror telling you? <laughs> you don't like this, do you? You're like, where are This mirror's going, whoo, this bucket's running dry. <laughs> Aren't you? Sure. Hey, I'm not picking on this, just the reality. The reality that cosmetic surgery is such a deal in our world is because it's, it's really easy to start living out of the bucket of our, what we look like or how fit we are or how much money we can make. But you know what they say about the, I mean, really, what can, what can money buy you? A boat. And? Come on, you don't listen to country music? What can money buy you? You can buy you a boat and a, and a truck to pull it. 
but it can't buy you, it can't buy you happiness. Because what do they say for every boat owner? Best day of their life bought it, best day of their life when they sold it. Because that bucket, wow! <laughs> it just can never satisfy. And most of all, even if, even if, if you make it so big, your money never runs out. What did Jesus say? Can I go back to it? Will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Even if your money never runs out, you don't get to take it with you. And so all you did is get a good lifelong drink and then drive for all of eternity. Is Jesus better, greater than Jacob? What's the answer? Way, way better. Is Jesus better, greater than any bucket of success? Or how about this? Relationship? Because that's what we'll find out. That's the, that's the bucket that this woman's drinking from, the bucket of relationship. Is Jesus better, greater than any of those? Simple reason. Yes, because it never runs out and it will spring up to eternal life. In other words, what I have come to know and what I hope you would come to know is this. Jesus is the only one who can give me abundant life and the only one who can give me eternal life. Because he didn't come in a bucket. Because he's a well in us that springs up to abundant life and eternal life. Now, here's where I love where this passage conversation goes. Jesus had just said to her, if you knew who I was and what I could give you, what would you say? Do you remember? What would you say? You'd say, give me a drink. And then, so she said, well, are you greater than Jacob? He said, way, 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 way better. I'm a well, I'm not a bucket. So what happens? The woman said to her, sir, give me this water. She does exactly what Jesus said. If you knew who I was and what I'd give, you'd say, Give me a drink. So she says, sir, give me this water so I'll not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. This is exactly what he said she should do. And he surprises her again. He surprised her by speaking to her. He's, he surprised her by saying, you should be asking me. And now he surprises her when she does exactly what he said she should do. Give me some water. She sa he says to her, go call your husband and come here. Which seems like, okay, fairly simple. Except, as we're about to find out, there's nothing really simple about this woman's life. And when Jesus says, well, go call your husband and come here, she's thinking, oh, how do I answer that question? Because all of us have been asked a question that you thought, 
Wow, to answer that is fairly complicated and you don't wanna get into all the details, right? You've ever been, and you're just, let's just say, we used to have an elder here, he's now with the Lord, he passed away, but, but he had a number of health problems, and he would say, when people ask me, how am I doing, he would say, let's just say fine. What he meant was, I don't really want to tell you all the complications, what the doctor said, and what I need to do, and what's going to happen to me, so let's just say fine. Not that it's not true, it's just not all the details. So, what's Jesus say? Go call your husband and, and come here. She says, I have no husband. To which Jesus replies, you have correctly said, I have no husband. But here's a little bit that you left out. <laughs> you have had five husbands. Now, I'm not making fun here. My mom's had four. You have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. Now, now I'm surprised as the woman is. Jesus says, go call your husband. She says, what? I don't have a husband. I'm living with a guy, but I don't have a husband. And then Jesus goes, yeah, that's right. You've had five. You've been divorced five times. And now you've given up on marriage and you're just trying to have the relationship apart from marriage. But who said all that? Not the woman who said all that. Jesus, why in the world did you ask the woman if you already knew the answer? And once again, it's not because he's being rude. Put yourself in this woman's situation. You're a Samaritan woman who's going to the well at noon because everybody else goes in the morning when it's cool so they have water all day. She's there at noon. Why? This simple reason. If you've been married five times and you go to the well when everybody else goes to the well, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to run into people who you really don't want to run into. All of us have been to the grocery store, started down an aisle and went, oop, don't want to talk to that person. <laughs> right? Jesus, this woman's been to the well enough to go, I don't want to see, I, no, I'll just go at noon. She goes at noon because she knows what everybody thinks of her. And then a man, Jewish man, surprises her by speaking to her, not being rude to her. And then surprises her by saying, you should ask me for a, a drink even though I don't have a bucket. And surprises her again by saying, because actually I am way, 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 way greater than Jacob because I offer living water that'll never run out. And now, listen, don't miss this. And now I find out he did all of those things, said all of those things to me 
knowing who I really am. See, if she thought he would not speak to her because she was a Samaritan woman, she would have said, there's no way ever he would speak to me if he knew I really was and what I had really done. And Jesus goes, I do know. And I still spoke to you. And I still offered you living water. Boy, if you're missing what we're listening into, she goes, I perceive you're a prophet. You know stuff that nobody else knows. And he says, yep, I already know every sin. I already know your deepest shame. And I still love you. Everybody needs to eavesdrop on that conversation right there. Yeah, yes, I know exactly what you're most ashamed of. I know exactly what it is that causes you to avoid people. I know what has made you feel like you could never, ever be like the person you wanted to be. I know what it is that caused you to, to not live the life as you thought life was going to happen. And I still, what? I still love you. Jesus knows the deepest, darkest secrets in this room and says, I still love you. It's always a little weird when people find out I'm a pastor. Because when people find out you're a pastor, they say funny stuff. More than one in the neighborhood has said to me, oh, well, I won't come to your church. Because if I came to your church, lightning would strike. First time I said, I thought, well, that's kind of a funny thought. And then after about the 10th time I heard it, there's like, wow, there's a real thing that people think if they go to church, lightning will strike. You have no idea what I've done. I'll do you a favor. I'll stay away. God would burn that place down if I showed up. And here's, here's what I've learned. First, here's my first thought. I'm so glad you're aware of your sin. Seriously. Because one of the worst things in life is to not be aware of your sin. Because uh, this might sound offensive, but people who are not aware of their sins are like classic jerks because <laughs> they think they're so much better than everybody else. It's the person you don't want to be around because they've really never done anything wrong. They're always, they're just too good. So my first thing I think is, well, I'm glad you're aware of your sin. I don't say that. Well, I'm glad you're aware you're a sinner. Well, I think I'm glad you're aware. But here's what I can say. Oh, I'm not worried about lightning. I'm not worried about lightning. Not because you're that good. I'm not worried about lightning because God has already sent something because of your sin. 
God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Father knows and knowing, not, not when we cleaned our lives up. He knows and he says, I'm not sending lightning. I've, I've sent my son. As a demonstration of what's the word? Love. As a demonstration that I love you. See, this is what is so surprising. We live in a world that we love lovable people. And God sent his son to demonstrate that he loves unlovable people unlovable people, people that understand, wow, I have a lot of sin and a lot that I would be ashamed of. See, if you think that way, don't hide it. God knows it. And he's not avoiding you. And he's not saying, get your life together. Clean your life up. That's what we think. We need to clean up to come to God. Historically, what did people wear to church on Sunday? Historically. Their Sunday best. It was all kind of this mindset. When we come to God, we bring him our best. We put on our best clothes. We put on our best faith. We put on our best selves. And and we still tend to do that. We are like, uh, if you're married, you got kids in the car. There's like sometimes hell happening in that car as you come to church. And then you get out. Hey, because we got to bring God our best. And if you've heard anything as you've eavesdropped here, I hope you'll hear this. Our best will never be good enough, and our worst will never be too bad. What does Jesus say to the woman? Let me remind you. Go call your husband and and bring it here. Bring him here. Go get your shame and your sin. And don't clean it up. Bring it here. So when we come to God, the secret is not, let's bring our best, which is what we tend to think. Let's bring our best. Clean up my language. It's, let me accept the invitation of Jesus to bring him what we try to hide in our lives, our worst, our ugliest. Why? Why does he want us to bring him our ugliest, our deepest shame? Why does he want us to bring him our sin? One simple reason. So we can be set free from it. See, the, Jesus is like, 
You want a life set free from your past. And that's what I'm offering. But you got to bring me your sin. And if you'll bring me your sin, I'll give you living water. That's the great exchange. The greatest exchange is we give him our sin. And he gives us a well of water springing up to abundant life and eternal life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wash us from all unrighteousness. All of it, any of it. So I hope you are maybe a little surprised. Surprised that you don't have to clean yourself up. Surprised that God is not looking for your best this morning. That in fact, he's inviting you to bring what you would never think about bringing to God. Not so he can rub your face in it. But so he can set you free from it. There's a first time we bring our sin to God. It's called when we are born again. But there's never a last time we bring our sin to God. Because there's always more to bring. But there is a first. If you ever brought your sin, not your best to God, hoping he'd be good enough, brought your sin to him and said, would you take it and give me life? Let me invite you to simply bow with me. Uh, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do what Jesus did for that woman. He already knows your sin. You're not going to surprise him, shock him, or put him off. He knows your sin. Would you bring it to him? Maybe for the first time, saying, God, just never thought you would accept me. But I've heard, and I believe in your son, Jesus, to give me life and forgiveness and cleansing. Maybe you've brought it to him in the past that you didn't think you could bring it to him again. That he's tired of seeing you and hearing about your sin. He's not. He knows and he invites you. Bring your sin to him and experience his grace, his forgiveness, and freedom from that sin.
invite you to stand with me. Just sing this simple chorus. Chains are gone. My chains are gone. I've been set free. And my God, my Savior, ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love. Amazing grace. grateful for the Lord's grace in my life. And if we can talk to you or answer any questions that you might have about Christ starting a relationship with him or just questions about anything um, about the church, it'd be a privilege to do so. We have men and women available to talk with you, to pray with you. If you're here in the South Auditorium with me, they're out to your right. If you're over in the North Auditorium, as soon as you exit, they're right across the little street there, the little entryway. It would be a privilege to do that. Or you'll find staff and volunteers around. We'd love to be able to do that for you. And also as you leave this morning, um, we do have tickets available uh, for the comedy show. They're out in the courtyard. And then if you have kiddos that are attending Power Up Club Day 5, you can head straight there and pick them up exactly where you dropped them off. We'll have volunteers helping to coordinate that. And you guys are welcome to head out to Power Surge and have an amazing time out there. Again, thank you so much for joining us this morning for worship. It is a privilege to have you here this morning.